0: Good morning. Thank you. (laughs) Galatians 5.16 and 22 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Hebrews 12 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God.
1: Well, welcome everyone. My name is Johnny Morrison. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, it's good to have you. Last week, Heather, our other pastor, began our new series entitled Practicing the Way, which is a way for us to answer the question that the end of Mark poses. So if you were with us during the summer, we've been walking through the book of Mark, and the book of Mark is a story of Jesus. And we get to see who Jesus is and we get to see what he's doing and we get to see what it means to be a follower of Jesus because the person who's writing the book of Mark is doing so for a church in Rome many years after Jesus, trying to walk them through what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus. And he ends his gospel with the empty tomb. And you have these women who, who they like, they enter the tomb, they hear the news of the resurrection, and then they flee in another direction. And you've just had the disciples who at the crucifixion have fled in another direction. And so there's this question kind of on everyone's mind at the end of the Gospel of Mark, which is, what do we do with this story of Jesus? What do we do specifically with the mysterious victory of Jesus? We believe that he was crucified. We believe that his death was upside down in a way of overcoming sin and evil and judgment. Like, we believe those things, and yet it is so peculiar and strange what it is inviting us into. And so the question is, how do we live in the reality of Jesus' mysterious, upside-down, strange victory? Do we freeze in fear like we see at the end of the Gospel of Mark? Or do we live in step with the Spirit as the book of Acts calls us into? And so, to help us answer that question, to say, what does it look like to live in light of the resurrection? We're walking through the fruit of the Spirit. Because, as you heard from Jenna reading scripture, the fruit of the Spirit, the passage begins with keep in step with the Spirit. And we know, like, right after Jesus is resurrected and right after his ascension, The disciples are waiting for the Spirit to fall. The Spirit falls, and that begins the book of Acts. And so we know that whatever it looks like to live in light of the good news of Jesus means to live in light of the Spirit of God. And so Paul says, okay, here's what it looks like to live in step with the Spirit. And he begins to give us these fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But often when we hear these fruit, what we do is we make them simply, abstract virtues or values, right? They're they're, they're attributes of our character. And so we say like a person who is in step with the Spirit is loving, which is true. Or we say that the the qualities of character of a Christ follower is patience and joy. And that is true, but these are also the practices of living in step with the Spirit of God. The ways in which we tend to, to that character, the ways in which we become loving. This is true in all parts of our life. We don't think about it often with faith, but it is true of all of our life. If we don't practice the things we care about, we will not be good at the things we care about. So if I don't practice my marriage, marriage will die. If I don't practice health, I will die. And if I don't practice faith, my faith also will die. James says that faith without works is dead. And we often make that about like, oh, is this about earning our salvation? I think James is just saying like, if you don't tend to a garden, if you don't care to fruit, fruit will wither and die. This isn't about whether you earn something or make something. It's about whether you care for something and cultivate something. If you want to be loving, you practice love. If you want to be joyful, you practice joy. If you want to be a person of patience and peace, We practice patience and peace. These are the ways in which we keep in step with the Spirit. So last week, Heather began this series by talking about love. What does it mean to be loving and how do we practice love? Today, we're going to talk about how do we practice joy, which I feel like is a weird question. Especially because I don't know that many of us have a good definition for what joy is. So I went to go try to find what is a definition of joy. Because I was like, I don't actually know. How do we practice this thing that feels ethereal and esoteric and hard to name? So what is joy? And so here are these definitions of joy that I found. So from, this is just dictionary.com. Emotion of great delight or of happiness. Great The second one is from Merriam-Webster, emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. That is how Merriam describes joy. And this positive one is from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. I imagine every one of you has one of those. (laughs) It's a nerdy Bible joke. And it describes joy as positive human condition, either feeling or action. Positive human condition. So in each of these examples, these definitions of joy, you have this emphasis on something positive, some positive experience, some positive emotion, some positive condition. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's a good definition of joy. And so what I thought might be helpful is if we just took that definition of joy and replaced it with the word joy in the text. Let's take a famous example of where joy is referred to in Scripture. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Let's switch that out with Baker's Encyclopedia. The positive human condition of the Lord is my strength. Okay. The passage from Hebrews 12. For the positive human condition set before him, Christ endured the cross. James 1.2, count it all positive human conditions, brothers and sisters, when you meet your trials. Maybe that is a good definition of joy in some circumstances, but I feel like when you start to place it within the biblical text, it feels a bit shallow. Because each of those definitions of joy is about some kind of emotive experience. And the problem with that is that oftentimes when you're reading about joy in Scripture, it is connected to suffering or to trials or to being steadfast over the course of time. It's connected to moments in our life where the present experience could not be described as positive. And so instead of positive human condition or a good experience, I think we have to build a bit of a different definition. And here's the one that I'm going to offer and then we'll walk through throughout today. Is it opposed to positive human condition, I want to argue that joy is the practice and experience of trusting in Jesus and his present and future work. That joy is the practice and experience of trusting in Jesus and his present and future work. I think this definition is more helpful as we think about what are the early followers of Jesus thinking about when they talk about joy. We just got done with Mark, and the context of Mark is a community of minority believers who live in Rome when Rome is actually turned against them. Israel has turned against them because they see Christians as a cult. Rome has turned against Christians, because they see them as a political group that is claiming kingship for this strange, victorious, resurrected king. So the world is turned against them, being exiled into the world. And so when they talk about joy, are they talking about positive human conditions? That they feel good about the circumstances that they're facing? No, instead, I think that they are talking about the practice and the experience of trusting in Jesus as the world turns against them as the practice of hoping in Jesus as they participate in his present work in the world and wait and long for the completion of that work in Christ. Joy is not simply a feeling or a positive human condition. It is the experience of practiced hope. It is the experience of practiced hope, of trusting that Jesus is who he says he is in doing what he said he will do. If you're looking for other ways of defining joy, maybe it'd be helpful to just talk about what are the antonyms of joy. Because I think that when we think about joy, then the easiest antonym is often unhappiness or disappointment or sadness. But I think if we're defining joy as practiced trust, then I think the best way to think of the antonyms of joy would not be as disappointment, but as something like nihilism, and control. Nihilism is that resignation to the world as it is, to say that there is nothing that we can do, there's nothing that we can solve, there's no problem that we can overcome, so we should just give in to the problems around us. But see, joy is a contrast to nihilism. It's not resignation to suffering or giving into to it. It doesn't give in to evil. Instead, It holds fast to the hope that God is doing something about the world. It holds fast to the hope that God gets the last word. But at the same time, it is not a false attempt to control the circumstances around us. See, that's what control is. Control is a way of trying to manage fear or anxiety, saying that I can be the hero of the problems around me. And joy is a contrast to control Because instead of carrying some impossible weight about a task, joy is trusting that God is actually doing it. And that our invitation is to participate in what he's doing as opposed to manufacture what he's doing. Our work is to trust Jesus, not force Jesus. Our work is to hold fast to him, not force something into the world. Joy is the practice and experience of trusting in Jesus and his present and future work. It's not resignation or nihilism. It's not false control or empty mechanisms of management. It is trust. So, at least the second question okay, if joy is practicing and experiencing trust in Jesus and his present and future work, well, how do we practice that? This might seem counterintuitive, but I think that the way the Bible invites us to practice trust is through submission. Submission to Jesus, right? If joy is about the experience and practice of trust, well, then submission is the way that we tangibly embody trust. It's the way that we do trust. Submission is about aligning our lives with and under God and God's movement in the world. It's about asking ourselves the question, do we actually trust God And his movement, do we actually trust and put our hope in what he is accomplishing or do we trust ourselves in our ability to manage in our ability to control or do we just give up entirely and believe that it is futile and not worth trying see joy the practice of joy is about submitting ourselves to God and then experiencing the confidence and the freedom that comes with submission to Jesus practice of joy is submission. And we cultivate that kind of joy or that kind of trust in our lives the way that the writer of Hebrews says to. In verse 2, it says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So how do we learn to practice submission and experience the joy that comes from submission? He says, oh, you look to Jesus who actually did the thing. This kind of submission is the mark of Jesus' life. So we look to Jesus, and in looking to Jesus, we see that he is worthy of our trust despite us. That he is good and consistent regardless. And then the experience of joy is that as we submit to Jesus and his trustworthiness, we get to experience the freedom of trustworthy Jesus. We get to experience the freedom and consistency of Jesus, of knowing that he is present, of knowing that he is true. So joy comes from looking to Jesus and submitting ourselves to him and to the reality of his work. Especially... When it is hard to do that. Especially when the practice actually requires trust. See, we cultivate joy when we submit to Jesus when it is difficult to, to do so. So we cultivate joy when we come to the table when everything in us screams that we are not welcome at the table. That is how we begin to cultivate joy when we actually trust that God said what he said and means what he says. So we come to the table despite what our experiences would say about ourselves or what our experiences would say about those around us or what the world would say about us. We say, instead of that, I'm going to submit to the way and work and person of Jesus and respond to Jesus the way he tells me to. And we cultivate joy in our lives when we move towards others despite what our circumstances tell us about those others. When we trust that God is actually calling us to move towards people, that regardless of how they respond to us or regardless of what they do to us or regardless of what the the situation around us says, submission is I'm going to trust that Jesus is calling me towards the other and I'm going to move. And in submitting ourselves to Jesus and his trustworthiness, we begin to cultivate joy. cultivate joy. The biblical author James says it this way. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you make trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. See, faith, when practiced or when tested, It produces steadfastness, which is a confidence in who Jesus is. So as you cultivate joy, it is in the testing of your faith or the actual practice of your faith. When things are hard to practice, we practice faith and it curates a sense of joy as we realize that Jesus is actually trustworthy, that he is who he says he is, that he's calling us to the things that he's calling us to. That's joy. So we cultivate and practice joy when we submit to Jesus, and then joy is practiced and experienced when we submit to Jesus' way. This is maybe the most central component of Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 2 it says again, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If you remember back to the Gospel of Mark, or maybe even just thinking about Jesus' moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, and John, or Matthew, like there's this prayer that he offers to his Father, which he says, like, Father, if it is, like, let this cup pass from me, but if it is your will, I submit. Right? And there's always this conversation with Jesus, like, that Jesus has other options on the table about how he engages the world, about how he follows through on his purpose. That's the temptation that he experiences in the wilderness with, like, the temptation on the Temple Mount. Like, he's like, I can bow to Satan and receive all the kingdoms of the world, but in doing so, I violate my mission. But he's always got these other options before him, how he engages the world, how he does his mission. So he can choose to submit and trust his Father and adore the way of the cross, or he can do his own thing somewhere else. He can control or manage He could call armies, he could have given up altogether, resigned to the way the world was, but instead for the joy that was set before him, for his trust in his Father, and trust that the work he was doing was good, he submitted to the way of the cross. Because he trusted that not only was his father good, but also that the way of his father was good. That this upside down, mysterious way in which God is overcoming sin and death, that that was good too. This is what we see at the end of Mark that the women don't get as they experience the resurrection of Jesus. Like they've just witnessed the crucifixion and they come to the resurrection. They're like, I don't don't know how to compute with Jesus' way in this mess. fundamentally the thing that Judas doesn't get about Jesus. Like, if you follow the narrative of Judas, like, he's like, I believe that Jesus is rabbi. I might even believe that Jesus is Messiah. But the thing that I can't contend with is the way Jesus is going to do the things in the world. I will not submit to the way he's accomplishing his purposes in this world. And so when confronted with the way in which Jesus works, Jesus is like, I would choose to betray Jesus, to resign. And I think in the same way, this is where so many of us struggle with Jesus. We get that he's Messiah. Maybe we love that. Maybe we love that he's God. Maybe we love that he's welcoming us to the table. Maybe we love that he speaks grace to us. We might struggle to experience it or to know it to be true, but we love those pieces of who Jesus is. But the part that it gets very complicated is when Jesus calls us into a way of being to being his followers, to living in step with the Spirit. So we want to trust that he is good, but his way creates a challenge. As soon as he says to give up control and trust him, it creates a challenge. As soon as he says that his way is a way of service, it creates a challenge. As soon as he tells us to give up of ourselves, to die to the flesh, to move down and out, to pick up our cross and follow him, that's where the challenge is. Because it is in those moments that our attempts at control are challenged most. See, and joy is the experience of when our desire to control is confronted with our submission to Jesus, joy is the result of that. It is the practice and experience of submitting to and participating in what Jesus is doing, denying our own flesh and submitting ourselves to the way of Christ. This is what Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 24. He says, now I rejoice, which in the Greek is the same word as the joy. I have joy in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. He's like, I experience joy because I get to participate in the way of Jesus, and I get to participate in the work that Jesus is doing, and so there is joy in the participation of Christ's work. He says, you know why that produces joy? He goes on in Colossians to say this. He says, because I get to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's like, the joy is that I get to participate in this thing that God is doing. I don't get to control it. I don't get to manage it. I don't get to be over it. But as I submit my life to who Jesus is and to the lordship of Christ and the way of Jesus, then I'm actually beckoned into the thing that God is doing in the world. I get to participate in making real his kingdom. I get to be a part of that mysterious victory. And as I'm a part of that mysterious victory, not only am I participating in it's like coming alive in the world around me, but it is coming alive in me. That's where the writer of Hebrews continues to go after he's talked about joy. In verse 10, he says, why do we do this? He says, so that we might share in his holiness. So he's like, so we get to participate in this thing that God is doing, and the joy is that we get to participate in this thing that God is doing in the world around us and also in our own lives, that we are being formed more and more into his image, and as we are formed more and more into his image, we get to see the places around us witnessed to his kingdom. So the joy is, like is in the submission to his work because in the submission to his work, we get to participate in his work. We get to see it become real in us and in the world around us. And so joy is about submitting to who God is and it's about submitting to his work. And then joy is about practicing and experiencing submission to the hope of Jesus. About the hope that is to come, not just the present work, but the future work of Jesus. Pretty much every passage that you read joy about has this thing about something that's coming. Some kind of harvest or some kind of future. It says in Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him. And in John 16, Jesus, describing it, says it this way. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, your sorrow will turn into joy. Like when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So joy is about this thing that God is doing in the midst of us here and now, but it is also about the practice and experience of submitting to what God is doing in the future. Because our moment here will not always be joyful in terms of positive human conditions or experiences. And we will be tempted towards trying to control or trying to just give up altogether, to resign to the difficulty of the struggle. But joy is about, do we actually believe that God is accomplishing something beyond this moment? Do we believe that there is a mysterious victory unfolding in the work of God? That we can't always get our hands around, that we can't always understand, but we see playing out in Scripture, that we see confirmed as we look to Jesus, we see playing out in our own lives. Do we actually submit ourselves to the hope of what is to come? Or do we give up on the hope of who Jesus is and try to control it, manufacture it, or give up on it altogether? Do we actually believe that God is accomplishing something long term? Do we actually believe that God is accomplishing something? long-term, and do we submit our lives to that? See, just as much as joy is about refusing control, joy is essential to not resigning. Because joy is the belief and experience that the world, sin, the devil, you and I, it doesn't get the last word. But God does. And it is both the practice of that and the experience of that of saying that evil does not get the last word in this world, but God does. And so that then reorients the way that I live in this world and reorients my submission to his way because I believe he is accomplishing something. See, joy is one of the ways that we defiantly state no to evil and sin. It is a way of trusting in the presence and work and accomplishment of God. It is the way that we state the gospel to be true that God is in control. And not our fear, not our anxiety, and not even us. But God. Messiah, can you imagine what it would be like for us to be a people of this kind of joy? who genuinely submitted ourselves to trust in God and his way and his hope. And because of tending to that and because of practicing joy and because of practicing submission, actually got to experience the joy of the Lord as our strength. What would it be like if we were a people of God's joy? See, I think that the, one of the primary things that we exist for to witness to God. That's what we exist for as a community, to to bear witness to the thing that God is doing. And I don't think that there would be a better way for us to witness to the truth of who Jesus is or the work that he is trying to accomplish than if we were a people genuinely practicing joy. Than if we were a people who genuinely practiced trust in Jesus' character and experienced the joy out of it. If we actually submitted to his joy and came to the table because of it. Or we submitted to his ways because of it, or we submitted to the hope of what he is accomplishing because of it? I think we would be a people who are willing to walk in step with the Spirit, who are walking in step with the Spirit, and pointing to his work and his accomplishment beyond us. So monsieur, as we close up, where in your own life? Do you need to start practicing and experiencing joy? And if the way that we practice joy is through submission to God, or if that's at least one of the ways that we practice joy, then where do you need to practice trust through submission to Jesus? Like Where in your life do you try to control, do you try to manage, or do you just give up altogether in resignation? Instead, you need to practice trust and submission to Jesus. Where do you lack confidence and freedom in Christ? Is it the table, how you view yourself? Is it the way that you go to others? Do you lack confidence in what God is accomplishing in you or around you? Confidence in declaring the truth of who Jesus is? That's a good place to mark in your life. Like, oh, that's where I need to submit to Jesus. I don't have the confidence to declare the good news of him, so I need to submit myself to Jesus. So where do you lack confidence or so where do you lack freedom in Christ and carry the weight of trying to accomplish something around you that you were never intended to carry? What would it look like for you to submit to his way? What would it look like in your job, at your home, in your like your just your personal life, amongst your friends and your in your church community what would it look like? If you would actually say, I'm going to submit to Jesus' way, not just to the notion that he's God, not just to the notion that he is good, but to actually believing that his way is how his kingdom is supposed to come in this world, giving of myself, stepping down, proclaiming the good news of him, forgiving and reconciling. like What if I actually believed his way is how something was accomplished in this world and I submitted myself to? And finally, how can you? Submit to his hope. I feel like that's a hard question. So I wanted to ask it in a way that was more like creative. How can you submit to the hope of Jesus? How can you actually start to put into practice this trust that God is accomplishing something long term? I love actually what Randall said when he was doing the Missio of Voice. Is there space in your life that you need to risk because of the hope that is to come? That'd be a good way to submit. Is there a risk to take? How can you submit to his hope? The language reminds me of Jesus saying, my burden is light. How do you submit to hope? How do you submit to the good news that Jesus is accomplishing something? And regardless of where you are at in answering those questions, we invite you to the table. Because the table is, for many of us, it's the first and maybe even only place in our week that we practice joy. Right Today, all of us, we have to practice submitting to God and saying that he actually welcomes us to this table. That he welcomes us to this space, that he paid for us to be here, that he made provision in himself for us. So we have to trust that what God said is true and come to the table. And as we come, then we're, we're believing that, like right here and right now, as we break the bed and as we ask for forgiveness and as we enter into the presence of God, that He is doing something in the midst of us. And yet, while we gather at this table, we know that it points towards something else to the restoration of all things, the hope of the world. And so, Missio, as you're answering those questions, come to the table, in a place where we first and consistently get to practice submission, and experience joy. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are with us today. That you're with us as we gather around your table, you're with us as we proclaim your name, you're with us as we open your text and hear your story. So, God, since you are here, help us to know that you are present, that you are calling us, that you are speaking to us, and that you are challenging us to trust and submit to you. God, help those questions be new in this moment. So that we would respond anew. It lead us to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Mr. When you're ready, we invite you to the table. The bread is gluten-free. The cup is non-alcoholic. There'll be people over here who would love to pray with you. And regardless of how you engage, we would encourage you to continue worshiping with us.